Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome Welcome to to the C4SO Podcast. Podcast. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Bishop Todd. Great to see you. Good to see you, too. I'm looking out the window here in my office, and I'm having an experience that I'm quite sure you're not having. Our, tr- <laughs> sure. our trees are almost have no more leaves in them. Wow. What's left are beautiful red, mix of red and yellow oh, and burnt man. orange. But, man, you got nothing but palm trees in Tampa. That's true. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a running theme here is anytime we, you and I chat or we chat with somebody else in a different part of the country, uh, there are seasons. And for yeah. me, I just... <laughs> Always here with either thunderstorms yeah. or just like crazy heat. That's just so you got to look at seasons in the dictionary. We we yeah. get to we get to experience it. That's right. That's well, right. Well, happy fall to you. And fall means we're coming up on Advent, and so this mm-hmm. has been a, a fun season on the podcast doing Advent. Yes. And today our guest is Austin Becton from Good Shepherd Anglican Church in Nashville. And I enjoyed this conversation because in bits of it, I felt like I was listening to you and Austin with a little bit of jealousy, if I'm honest, because <laughs> I, I just sort of miss being a rector and planning these seasons. But it was a joy to think of you as a worship leader and Austin as a rector thinking mm-hmm. about planning Advent services. Yeah, I got to say, I think it's my favorite part of my job and, yeah. you know, in my church is getting to think through the seasons, you know, of the liturgical calendar and, and getting to talk with other leaders, you know, in other churches too, gets, helps me kind of gauge some cool ideas or kind of where other churches are kind of trending and what they think, um, you know, where the spirit is leading them. And so I just love to hear those stories. I love to hear uh, the practices of other churches, especially other C4SO churches. That's a huge gift to me. You know, we really talk about the why behind the what of the Advent liturgies. And as someone who is really good at thinking through liturgy, you know, Austin is just a massive help to me and Travis. I mentioned this in the episode, but we yeah. call him up all the time with <laughs> like, hey, what's the, what are you supposed to do here? Like, what's yeah. the, you know, so he's just a massive resource, I think, to the whole diocese. So, We are really looking forward to sharing today's episode with our friend, Austin Becton. Well, Austin, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to get to see you. Thank you for having me. Austin is probably 10 miles away. I was going to say he's not far from you right now. Yeah, and you're like, what, a thousand miles away. Yeah, (laughs) sometimes it does feel like it. Yeah. Austin, you're a native of Nashville, if I understand that correctly, right? That's correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your favorite thing about this town known as Music City. Well, interestingly enough, it's not the music. So okay. I, I lived in Austin, Texas for about 10 years. Um, uh, so really kind of live music capital of the world, if you will. Yeah. Nashville is a lot more music business side of things. Oh, um, there are obviously, there's plenty of live music, but it's it's more geared to the music business side. Probably what I love most about Nashville, though, is First and foremost is we were raised here, so it's home. Mm. Um, there was a deep sense of just being home when we moved back. Mm, um, yeah. But I also just love the all the seasons, the landscape. It's a growing city, which is always exciting. Okay, so Austin, we always like to start with you know just something that's a little humorous, to let people to get to know you. So you're a young rector. I you know I told some stories about myself in the accidental Anglican like. The first Sunday we were tearing down from church and I don't drink any alcohol at all. 
and there was a big cup of wine left and I drank the whole thing and got just a little buzzed while oh, I was no. tearing down tables and chairs. So, oh no, okay, so even worse. Oh yeah, that's the real thing. Yeah. That was a real thing. All right, so you're a young rector in it for a few years. What's your most humorous, embarrassing moment so far? Yeah, so I, I was trying to wreck my brain on this, and I had a few stories, but I think the one to me that really sticks out is we started March 15th of 2020 as Good Shepherd, and so pandemic, we're online. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah Great perfect timing. timing. Yeah. And so we're online. It's my first Easter service to lead you know, as Good Shepherd, and oh, I'm right in the middle cool. of the homily, you know, microphones on and everything. And then mm-hmm. my daughter is in the background. She has used the restroom and she screams out, dad, I pooped oh, and nice. right in the middle of the homily and everybody just dies laughing <laughs> and, and trying to recover from something like that is just yeah. about impossible. <laughs> yeah, so I think no we was kind of moving on at that time, but that is so <laughs> it was, funny. It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, that would be hard to find like an Easter metaphor. Yeah, for. yeah. <laughs> there was there was not much. There's no pulling there. that off. Like that was not planned. Uh-uh. <laughs> There's no way no, to. No, no, uh-uh. not at all. Oh, and man. then you know, okay, I think you win. I think that, <laughs> might, one, that yeah. might be the best. That is crazy, but Good Shepherd is doing great. And despite that, as Bishop Todd and I were prepping for this episode, I was telling him, oh, Austin's like the perfect person to talk to about, you know, the liturgy of Advent because we call him all the time with all of our liturgical (laughs) questions. So this is perfect. Uh, You know, you and I are, or you and Travis especially are in constant communication about, you know, the, the more that we do this as we have liturgical questions, you're kind of our go-to friend. So tell us how you ended up in the liturgical expression of the faith. You know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why I ended up here. Um, I think, you know, at a very high level, the two primary reasons are there's a, there's a rootedness in the, the church tradition, the Christian tradition, um, that I've always been attracted to, um, over time. And then the fact that the liturgy has always offered me words when I didn't have the words, mm. um, that was, that was a huge part for me. Um, I can remember yeah. the first, the first, um, kind of just liturgical services and it was an Anglican church, but it was the first kind of liturgical setting I've ever been in. Um, I was raised by the way, just in a Pentecostal church. And I remember like being able to go through the liturgy and just feeling like I was able to fully participate and not feeling like the pressure to be extemporaneous in my prayers, which, you know, sometimes I can struggle with putting verbs and nouns together. And so it was always a place for me that the first time I visited, I just walked home and I was like, told my wife, I was like, I think I'm Anglican. Mm, I was like, I'm not even yeah. sure what that really means, but I think this is, <laughs> this is home. I think it's me. Yeah. Um, and then um, I had a, and I'll just add this little note. My, my dear friend in Austin, Texas at church of the cross, father Peter, um, just randomly poked me on the shoulder one day and was like, what are you doing? And yeah. that was my first kind of interaction with anybody in the Anglican world. Okay. Um, mm. And so I blame him for bringing me to the dark side. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So tell us a little bit about what the season of Advent has meant for you personally over the years. I think probably the most significant aspect is learning to slow down and to live mm. in this mm. in simplicity. Um, and then I would add with, with hopeful anticipation. And for me, it's a way of pushing back against the endless consumerism of our day. 
um, a form of kind of recentering my hope in God's coming kingdom rather than what I would call the failing kingdoms of this world. Mm. Um, I think it's so easy to get so captivated by everything that's saying you need this, this gives you worth, this gives you value, this makes you beautiful. Um, and there's just something for me. Advent is probably one of my favorite seasons. Of course, I get teased because I say that about every season. But I, I do. Lo- I love. I love Advent. I love preaching in Advent. I think when it comes to Advent, you feel the countercultural nature of it more than other seasons. Um, and there's something really beautiful in that for me. We were at Target the other day, at like a couple days after Halloween, and the Christmas stuff is already out. And it's already, I, it's already, I out. feel yeah. the tension within yeah. myself. Yeah. Christmas like, movies are coming on Netflix and oh, yeah. Amazon and everything. And my kids are wanting to watch it. I'm like, oh, do I let them? Do I not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I get what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Austin. So you're um, passionate. We know about the ancient practices of Christian worship, but I also know you well enough to know that you love your city, as you've already said, and you especially love West Nashville, which is your you know particular part of town. And I know West Nashville would be, you know, not monolith. There's a lot of different sorts of people in West Nashville. So when you think about situating yourself between your ministry context and these ancient practices, how have you found yourself trying to balance faithfulness to traditional worship while also contextualizing it to be with the people who you're with? Maybe first, and I don't... I wouldn't say this is primary, but I would say it's first. I think we have to understand why we do what we do. Um, so when when we have these, you know, ancient practices or whatever it may be in our liturgy, um, it's understanding, like, why are we doing this? Um, and so I do think, you know, at times we can do it because we think, oh, this looks cool. And I think, like, that's going to be short-lived. Um, but if we really understand the heart of these practices and what we're hoping that they will form in us, um, then I think there's, there's a certain beauty that we find in these practices. I would say, you know, f- from, from the kind of concept of contextualization regarding the, the people we're around, um, I tend to think about conce- contextualization, and I know that this can be debated in many ways, but contextualization um, of the gospel. And so what I really mean by that is merely then just contextualizing our methods. So saying, well, like this is weird to people, so let's not do it. Um, It feels to me that actually contextualizing the gospel and saying this is actually how the gospel speaks into the reality of people's lives that you are, that we are interacting with day in and day out. Um, And so what that additionally means to me is like, I have to pay attention to the world around me. Um, I have to pay attention to the situations facing our society and we have to speak into those. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we can leave the gospel in this cute little um, nutshell with a bow on it. And it's, and it's great and it's true. Um, but sometimes there's a lack of understanding how that ultimately applies to the reality of our lives. And so I think like working towards a place where we're contextualizing the gospel for the people and the reality of the worlds then gives us the place that we have these liturgical pl- practices that help to inform our faith and help to form us into deeper relationship with God um, without simply just doing things in hopes that people will like it. Mm. Does that make sense, what I'm trying yeah. to say? Um, totally. And yeah. so for me, it's really saying, if I can show people 
you know, and, and I'm imperfect with it as we all are. But if I can seek to show people how the gospel speaks into, um, you know, for us, we had the covenant school shooting. Um, if I can talk about how, you know, when we're looking at like the increasing of violence or the political um, hostility, how does the gospel speak into these realities? I think invites people to live out the gospel story actively and presently in our world um, versus just maybe up here in our mind or with some kind of belief that feels disconnected. Mm, Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. So you said a moment ago that you, you love Advent. Maybe it's your favorite season of the year. Um, Let's talk about that from a couple of different perspectives. First of all, What's your favorite theological aspect of Advent? And I think what I mean by that is not like favorite, like I love cheeseburgers. But what's <laughs> what's the theological aspect of Advent that you find um, that you can do the kind of application you're just talking mm-hmm. about? Um, probably the rootedness of the season and the coming of mm-hmm. God's kingdom. Um, you know, historically speaking, and, and the history of Advent's a little fuzzy, so, you know, you disagree with me out there, it's okay. Um, but historically speaking, Advent was not directly linked to Christmas the way it is today. Um, and we see a little bit of that in the lectionary, like, right, we're picking up, it's really the, the second coming of Christ mm-hmm. or, or the fulfillment of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so I think the beauty of Advent to me is the reality that the church lives between two Advents. Or that maybe a better way of even saying that is we are in a perpetual state of Advent. Um, we're in that perpetual waiting. And so, you know, we have the, the, the Christ child being born, the kingdom of God is drawn near, and then we have the consummation of his kingdom on earth as, as it is in heaven. Um, mm, and, yeah. and that for me, yeah. um, in so many ways, just like excites me. I almost said jazzes me yeah. up, but I don't ever, <laughs> I don't ever say that. <laughs> That works too. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you, you, um, you find like spiritual benefit, spiritual effectiveness in leveraging the idea of this perpetual longing for the coming of Christ, like yeah. in our day, in our lives every day, right? Like I'm sure the three of us and most, most listening to us pray for the arrival of mm-hmm. Christ in our life mm-hmm. every day. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, there, there's just something to me so beautiful about and hopeful. Um, and, and, you know, there, there, it's, it's not just this glib hope, right? It's not this, this smile on your face, pretend like everything's okay. Um, but it's, it's leaning into the reality that things aren't the way we desire them to be or the, even the way they should be. Um, but there is a hope that we are longing for. And I think to be present in that is that invitation to a truer, deeper hope. Mm, yeah. 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 Like when I got out of bed this morning, um, and I don't do this, you know, a hundred percent of the time, but the vast majority of the time, get out of bed saying, Okay, Jesus, me and you, let's go do our work together or let's go live today together. Well, what is that other than what you're saying, Austin? It's it's a longing in me for the coming of Christ into my day. So yeah, there are these yeah. big theological categories of living in the time between the times, as Jordan Ladd or uh, yeah, George Eldon Ladd said. Or, yeah. but there's also a very pastoral part of it where we're all longing for the presence of Christ. And you're right, Advent's a great time to talk about that. 
like how does this work itself out for you pastorally as someone who leads a parish, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So maybe similar question, different angle. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite mm-hmm. pastoral aspect of Advent? Yeah, I probably like just touched on it a little bit, but I think yeah. like maybe what I would add in there is is a is a challenge, is an exhortation, is a call, is an invitation, whatever word you want to use, of slowing down. Um, I think oftentimes in this season, and this is the major countercultural part, is like we're gearing up for Christmas. And I think the invitation of Advent is to really begin to slow down and to pay attention. Um, and that's a, that's a that's a different dynamic when like every, you know, like we all love Christmas. It's exciting, right? right. Like yeah. I go out and hear Christmas carols and I'm like, I'm ready yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. Um, totally. And so I think there's, there is this like dynamic that we're waiting in. And I think if, if we can't slow down, if we can't just take the time, sit on the front porch for a little bit and ponder like Advent, if you will, you know, um, and really, engage like something I always invite our churches and I say look you're not going to have it perfectly envisioned but like what is your vision of God's in breaking kingdom like what is that like when you when you talk about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven or new creation or you know whatever like what is that to you like what are you envisioning in your in your head and your heart and so I think it's a calling to slow down to pay more attention to that reality and how we are to be a people called into participation with that in some form or fashion. Why is it good to pay attention to that? You know, if we're getting into sort of like the why behind the what we do, how would you counsel someone, you know, if they're asking like, okay, I hear you, but why? Like, what's the formative power there for us? Mm. That's a great question. Um, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of things. Um, and, and I don't mean to get like so narrow in this. Um, but, but we are a people, we're consumers, right? Um, uh, I think it's just William Cavanaugh in his book, Being Consumed. Like he was like, we, we want to pretend like we're not consumers. We are consumers. Like, that's fine. Like we consume the Eucharist. Um, but like in that, I think we've become just kind of like, absent-minded consumers like it's like you know i mean i i'm gonna confess i buy book after book after book yeah (laughs) i got books literally on shelves that i'm like one day i'll read that yeah yeah so like one thing i'm trying to do now is to say i'm not gonna buy another book is as great as the books are that are coming out until i've read what i have Mm, um and i think like that that kind of like that slowing down, that paying attention invites us into these places of just taking account, like what are we consuming and why, yeah. or to to what extent are we consuming? Um, and I think it's just having those questions, like learning to be curious, um, right? That's something I'm just learning about myself and in, in like my own therapy and stuff is like learning to be curious about like what I'm even feeling. But I think in a broader thing is just learning to be curious about like why are we doing what we do. So as you've worked with your team this year, uh, getting ready for Advent, um, have you guys decided what you're going to teach on? Is there any particular theme, and and why? How do you how do you choose the theme out of the Advent readings this year? I don't know that I have a theme. Um, this is this is probably not an area that I'm like is my strong suit is like crafting like creative sermon series or anything. Um, 
I, I, we remain pretty committed to the, to the lectionary. Um, and so that usually kind of guides our themes, if you will. Um, however, on this new cycle, um, you know, this past year A, year B, and year C, mm-hmm. um, I've personally committed to, and I'll be, you know, asking those preaching in Advent um, to focus on the major prophets, which will be Isaiah. Um, and so we'll be preaching through Isaiah during Advent. So back to that one of our topics a few minutes ago. So again, situating yourself between the texts as they as they come to us in the lectionary and your parish in West Nashville, just give people a hint on how you came to that conclusion. Not right or wrong, but I think it would be helpful for our listeners to know how a working pastor even came to that idea that, hey, let's focus on the major prophets. In my experience, I have seen where we kind of pick and choose these passages and verses that feel comfortable to us to preach. And so, um, you know, we can, we can create a sermon series and we can make sure to take out the parts we're uncomfortable with and put in the parts that we're comfortable with or put in the parts we like and take out the parts that we're unsure of or don't like. Um, to me, preaching a lectionary like, forces me to engage with the whole of Scripture. Um, and so for the first three, kind of three years-ish, you know, with COVID, um, I, I only preached the Gospels. Um, and so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, and so this kind of new cycle, um, I was just like, man, I kind of, I enjoyed doing that. It like, it put us into these like passages in a way that like, I mean, Isaiah's like can be tough to preach. And a lot of these major yeah. prophets are a bit challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the gospel passage and I'm like, that's easier to preach this Sunday. Um, and there's times where I allow myself to do that if, if sure, it feels yeah. like the right direction. Um, so a lot of it is just really wanting us to like, I would love for our church to have a deeper understanding of Isaiah, mm, um, yeah. of Ezekiel and like these major prophets and to engage with them in a more, um, comfortable fashion. Yeah. We try to make these, all of our episodes, um, very palpable, very practical for those who are listening, but especially with the Advent series that we're doing, we want this to be a sort of resource for uh, other planters or other church leaders. And so even you just kind of explaining this uh, is, is super helpful. Can you give us a couple of other ideas or, or plans that you guys might have at Good Shepherd for how you are going to um, like give your parish opportunities to engage in the Advent season, right? Mm-hmm. As someone mm-hmm. like me will be listening and to this and go, okay, how can I plan for, you know, my mm-hmm. church to be involved mm-hmm. beyond just like, you know, the readings or whatever mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Can you give us like any special events or opportunities that you guys are coming up with for the Advent season? This year we're combining two things together. So we're doing a, basically an Advent wreath making workshop. Okay. So we get a lot of greenery, the candles, you know, yeah. and for those out there that like know this very well, like the Advent wreath is somewhat of a new practice. It's not really an right. old ancient practice, but it's still fun to do. But it's fun. Yeah. We basically like families come in, they'll make their Advent wreath together. We also have a chili cook off at the same time. And that's really just a time cool. to really say, oh, big season change coming. Uh, and yeah. so we do that really the Saturday before Advent one or depending mm. various times how it falls. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is I really do encourage our church to slow down. Um, you know, there, there are times if we're constantly saying slow down, slow down, slow down, like that's just not reality. Um, 
but this is a season that I want to be very intentional, like take time to slow down. It's going to feel countercultural. Everything's seeing speed up, amp up, gear up. Mm. I want to invite you to slow down. So we actually try not to schedule too much. Um, That's what good. we, That's good yeah, point. yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and it might not work for everybody, but I think it's, it's slowly working for us. Um, we do have, uh, table groups, um, which I jokingly say is just the Anglicanized version of a small group. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We just like throw table on anything and it's like immediately like, oh, that's Anglican now. There you go. Yeah. Um, so we do table groups, um, and they are kind of, they meet ad hoc at various times and, and, and seasons. Um, during Advent, we do ask them to meet weekly during Advent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that time, usually entails like they'll light the Advent wreath together and they'll have a time of either reflecting on a particular theme or the passage that was used on Sunday and right. they're sharing a meal together. So we're trying to get them like thinking a little bit more of this, like slowing down of this anticipation of this hopeful waiting. Um, and we do that usually through the small group settings. Um, one other thing that I would just throw out there, I don't, I don't know, you can cut this out if you need to, no, go for it. Um, but we, we purchased the little way chapel admit guide for our families. Oh, it's like, cool. I think you can get that and the Christmas one for like 50 bucks. Yeah. And she does a really great job. Yeah. She's um, awesome. Yeah. Really great job. And it's a really simple, easy resource. It's like almost plug and play for families. And so we do that and we offer that to families of just a way um, we all value kids, but like we are really trying to take an intentional approach to saying like we want kids a part of this process, right. having these memories being formed in them of what was Advent. Oh, I remember, you know. So we're trying to find ways to do that, and that's one simple way. Austin, we've had guests in this Advent series that have talked about similar themes that you've talked about about stillness, waiting, uh, about learning patience about keeping the faith uh, in the face of suffering. As you said, in your church in West Nashville was um, very close, not just proximity, but relationally to the covenant shooting. Mm -hmm. How do you imagine yourself applying these kind of Advent themes to suffering? I mean, not everybody lives in Nashville and has gone through, you know, shooting Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. but pretty much everybody's proximate to suffering these days. How do you imagine these Advent themes working with suffering? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, it's I. I don't know that I can do the question justice. Um, I think sometimes we have to walk through things, through moments, um, to understand like what's being said. Um, and what I mean by that is like you know when we talk about some of these ideas of Advent, this hopeful anticipation. Um, we're not just making these like simple platitudes. It's not just Christian rhetoric. Um, and I think like that's one thing that it's like, as I've looked at our community, you know, especially as we walk through um, the reality of the Covenant School shooting, for those that don't know, we had several people in our parish that were at that school during the time. This idea of waiting becomes really important. Um you know, I'm thinking of like Re- Revelation 7, Revelation 21, um, you know, and like Revelation 21, it's like God's going to make his home with mortals. Um, and I like, I just, I, I feel that the like goosebumps just even like saying that the reality that God will like dwell with us. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in that moment, like you don't feel God dwelling with you. Yeah. You feel the reality of evil and darkness, um, right? And that's kind of another kind of theme of Advent, this darkness, the yeah. light breaking into the darkness. Um, and so we engage, um, I think it's really important. Um, this is like one of those things that I would be like, man, I would plant my flag and die for this. I think it is so important, especially as the Christian community, that, that we are not just people that have a glib smile and say, yep, all's going to be well. Um, while we have that hope, there's a reality in the moments that all does not feel well to a lot of people in this world. Mm-hmm. Everything is not okay right now. Um, and so we constantly invite our parish. You know, we're not saying be sad all the time. Um, we want there to be times of rejoicing and happiness and, right. and excitement. But we are a people that seek to sit with our tears. Um, we sit with our broken hearts. We engage with the reality of the anger that we feel at the senseless violence and the hostility in our world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's a reality that that anger, a, a true, like, you know, if you say righteous anger is something yeah. that you is to me an appropriate response when you see injustice, when you see harm and you see evil and it pines after like restorative justice not punitive justice, but a way that is like that of God's kingdom. Um, And I don't think we can really do that well unless we are a people that are trying to slow down and to pay attention and to recognize like what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in our own worlds. And so when we talk about a dark, we talk about the darkness and the light breaking forth into the darkness, what is that darkness? Like, what is that that we're hoping will be restored and made whole again? So sort of a recurring theme that we've talked about in this series is that the season of Advent definitely holds the space necessary for us to uh, think about these things more deeply, to, to be aware of the world around us and the evil um, that we need Christ to come and make things right and whole again. But in this moment, we we cannot look away from what's going on in the world. We cannot look away from what's going on in our own neighborhoods, right? So so this season holds that space for us. And it does give us that and teach us the hopeful anticipation of the coming again of Jesus. So what do you find that sparks this longing in the people of your parish? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, it's 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 piggybacking off a, a little bit of what we just said, um, but I do think there is something vital um, about being present in the world and with the world. Yeah. Um, you know, we, our own diocese, like churches for the sake of others, um, we have to be present with the reality of others, mm-hmm. um, with the world. Yeah. I think to really understand, you know, going earlier. Um, uh, contextualization of the gospel, like what it, what does this all mean in the midst of all that is going on right now? Israel, Hamas, the hostility that we constantly see in our um, partisan politics. Um, what does it all mean? Um, and so, I think constantly encouraging or consistently encouraging our parish to like pay attention. Um, it doesn't mean you have to constantly like doom scroll on social media. It doesn't mean that you have to read the news every single day, but don't turn a blind eye towards it. Um, Pay attention and let your heart be uh, impacted by it. Let it be touched by it. 
Fleming Rutledge, um, which I'm, I'm sure many people have read this book, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Advent, The Once and Coming King, she says this, the great theme of Advent is hope, but it is not tolerable to speak of hope unless we are willing to look squarely at the overwhelming presence of evil in our world. Mm. And, and I take that to heart. Um, yeah. I take it to heart. Yeah, otherwise I guess it's like a faux hope. Right. A, um, a wishful thinking hope, mm-hmm. uh, not a hope. Like can hope really be hope if it's not grounded in reality? Yeah is what I hear you yeah, saying. That's, exactly. that's really good. That's tough though. It is. Uh, depending on one's personality, that, it's really that's tough. easier said than done, but yeah, but you're obviously right. Yeah. And, and we'll never do it, you know, correctly all the time. Like we're going to yeah. make mistakes and fumble around with it, but I think we have to try. All right, Austin, we like to finish with a little bit fun. I'm hoping you can come through for me here because we've asked other guests this question and I keep waiting to hear like, an anecdote like, yeah, we were lighting the advent candle and it fell off and it caught the uh, cat's tail on fire and the cat jumped up on the couch and spilled mom's red wine on the brand new couch and mom kicked the cat. I don't know. I keep waiting for some story like that, but we haven't heard one. So let's talk about advent at home. Um, Anything in the Becton household that's been kind of a humorous failure? Yeah. I don't like, I, I literally, I was like, I don't know if it's humorous, um, but, I, but, I, but I'll say this. You it, can go back to the poop story if you need to. Yeah, you're already. And just say, I can't that was beat Easter. that. Um, <laughs> but I think one thing, and, and maybe this is, is helpful for other people to hear, but you know, I'm, I get excited on Advent. I honestly, my most excitement is like what we do as a, a, a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get excited. I get all these ideas. I have all the kids' books. I get ideas of how we're going to do this, and I'll make a little plan of what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Guys, I almost – we never do it. Mm-hmm. Like, we try. Yeah. But it's like just lighting uh, an Advent wreath is like – struggle. Oh, man, it's yeah. like just World, World, is World real. War Three breaks out and who's lighting what candle. Uh, and yes. so we're just looking oh, at each yeah. other going like, why – why are we doing this again? (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, I totally get it. But it's also, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And so like, we just try and then like, we're patient with ourselves. And if it's like, Hey, this, this isn't going to work this year. Like next year we'll try again. Yeah. It's a lifetime of Advent. It is. It is. It really is. Doing it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. For those listening, if you're new to Advent, like don't try and do it all this year. Like Mm -hmm. just do one thing and be okay with it. Pick, Pick one thing. Yes. And if you're listening and you have my cat story, please. Please submit that. Please share. Please submit it. Bishop Todd is just itching to hear a crazy Advent story. So if you've got one, please leave a comment (laughs) or something because we need to know. (laughs) Yeah, inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, we want to know. Okay, so maybe maybe nothing catastrophic, but do you have a, a favorite memory surrounding Advent, either growing up or, you know, as you've discovered the Anglican tradition or with your family? a favorite memory come to mind? Yeah. So I, I didn't grow up with Advent, um, heard about it, but never really knew what it was. Um, but for our family, it's a simple, like every Sunday we do it Sunday evening for dinner. Um, we gather around the table, eat dinner together and we light the Advent candle and we mm-hmm. sing, uh, Sufjan Stevens, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Oh, 
Um, mm. When I say we, really Caitlin sings it and I just listen because <laughs> um, I'm a horrible <laughs> singer. Um, but yeah, that's just been kind of our thing since Greta was born. Love it. Or Greta, Greta's that's our beautiful. oldest, eight years old. Love it. That's beautiful. I can picture Caitlin singing a solo for you guys. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And I and I'm with you. If if I were singing next to Caitlin, she'd be singing solo mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Me. Now Mickey could probably harmonize with her. Yeah, and hang, well, but not not me. Yeah, we we try to teach our our son. He he's at kind of at the age where he's learning like melodies and being able mm-hmm. to. So maybe this year will be the year that we can actually start singing when we light the the candles yeah. and the wreath. So it's, we'll see it's how much really it's really a lot of fun. I mean, we, is, we, we encourage even our, our table groups, like maybe sing the song. Yeah. Like, it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It just kind of gives that, like that song. We sing it every week in Advent. It's so yeah. beautiful. That's a great idea. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Austin, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Loved it. Uh, these tips uh, and your experience with Advent with us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.